You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Well, good morning, church. Good morning, Hope Church online as well. Glad that you are here. I want to begin this morning by encouraging you to think for a moment or to imagine with me that you are a prosecutor, that you are prosecuting an accused in a very important case. It's the case of a publicly hated individual. It's someone who's been stirring civic dispute. This individual has been proclaiming untruths and fake news. Someone who's been apparently challenging the very core truths of what many people in your courtroom and in your life believe. And so you return to the desk in the courtroom. You skim down the bottom of your notepad to a list of all the questions that you've wanted to cover with this individual. But as your finger skims down the list to the bottom, you realize, in fact, that you've heard the accused soundly refute all the accusations against them. This witness has given a powerful testimony to you. They have had their facts straight. They have knowledge that is firsthand. They have an alibi and details. They have events and life change, all that testify to you as a compelling testimony. Now you know that the gallery in your room, you know that the crowds outside of the courtroom, they are waiting for your last questions. Because they know that your last questions to the accused would be questions that would seal your case. But not only are you out of questions, as your heart beats rapidly. You are quietly beginning to realize to yourself that this man on the stand is in fact innocent and has done nothing wrong. How would you keep the crowds happy? How would you silence them? But how would you also give this man the innocence that he deserves? And so you decide that you approach the bench You murmur something, and it's announced that you would like to take a recess for two years. Church, you've been imagining right now the events of Acts chapter 24 and 25. The man repeatedly on trial is the Apostle Paul. The prosecutor in this scene has been Felix, the Roman governor. And over the next two years, Paul would be kept in prison because while the Roman officials believed that this man had done nothing wrong, their desire was to keep the Jews happy. And so in Acts chapter 25, Felix is replaced or succeeded by a new governor. His name is Festus, and he inherits Paul's case. He continues his own investigation. We're going to see in our passage today why Paul was a powerful witness for Christ. In fact, we're going to see today in Acts chapter 26 three reasons and characteristics for why Paul was such a powerful witness for Christ and for us what a witness for Christ should look like. 
So if you have a copy of the Bible, God's Word, I would love for you to open it today to our passage to Acts chapter 26 as we look through Paul's witness together. Well, the word witness occurs over 400 times in the Bible. From its origin in the English language, we get our word martyr, someone who professes something in their lives, in fact, so much so that they are willing to die for what they are witnessing. But as we compile together the Hebrew use of the word witness and the Greek use of the word witness, we come to a definition that is essentially two things. A witness is, first of all, someone who sees something amazing and important. And secondly, a witness is someone who begins to tell or share of that important or amazing thing. So, for example, church, in a court of law, a good witness is often firsthand, someone who has seen the events take place. Another example, in an accident, a good witness will be someone who is hopefully there in that moment and saw the event take place. An example of a witness on a document might be someone who's willing to be held accountable that they saw or they have seen the document signed. But loved ones, in the Christian faith, we will see today in Acts chapter 26 by Paul's example that a witness for Christ is three things. I want to show you on the screen. A witness for Christ is, number one, someone who confesses who they were. And we're going to see that in verses 4 through 11. Secondly, a witness is someone who professes who they are. And thirdly, a witness is someone who witnesses. That's what we're going to see in our passage today. You know, for two years, as Paul is in prison, the Jews have been unsettled. They've been unsatisfied because there's been no verdict on the Apostle Paul who keeps proclaiming this gospel of Jesus. And so when the new governor, Festus, arrives on the scene, the, the Jews go to him. They go to Festus with a plan. And in Acts chapter 25, you can read this. The plan is to ask for a prisoner transport. They want to move Paul from Caesarea to Jerusalem because they know if we can get Paul out of prison and on the move, we can ambush the transport and we can kill him ourselves. Now to spoil the plot, Festus responds to the Jewish inquiry. He says, no need, no need. In fact, I am going to Caesarea myself. I'd like to hear out Paul. And if any of your religious leaders would like to come with me, you're welcome to do so. And so it's no surprise when Festus arrives on the scene and he hears and questions Paul in his case, because of Festus' lack of knowledge in the Jewish customs and controversy, he too finds Paul innocent. But thankfully, someone more skilled and important, someone who knows all about the Jewish faith, arrives on the scene today. And in Acts 26, Paul defends the gospel before King Agrippa II. Maybe you're a visual learner, or maybe some of our kids are watching from home this weekend. I want to show you a scene of what maybe this would have looked like for Paul. We're imagining as Paul defends the gospel in Acts 26, you've got Paul in chains with the Roman guard. You've got King Agrippa, and in the story, his sister Benice, and you have the, the Roman governor Festus. 
This could have been what our scene was like as Paul begins to describe the events of Acts 26. It says he's called into an audience hall. And in chapter 26, it shows to us he's locked in prisoner chains. Now he knows from days earlier, Festus found him innocent. But now is his chance before King Agrippa, and he knows that King Agrippa is well acquainted with the Jewish faith. And so he's going to take a hold of the opportunity to powerfully and strategically and effectively witness for Christ before all who hear. If you remember from earlier, Paul is going to show us in our passage today that a witness for Christ is someone who confesses who they were, professes who they are, and a witness for Christ witnesses. And so let's take a look at this first characteristic in our passage today. Point number one, a witness for Christ confesses who they were. As our passage begins in chapter 26, Paul's given the chance by King Agrippa to speak, to defend himself. And so let's read verses 4 through 8 together in Acts chapter 26. Paul begins speaking and he says, My manner of life from my youth... Spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day, and for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Let's stop there for a moment. We're going to come back to verse 8 in particular because this is very important in Paul's witness today. But in these verses, Paul is confessing before those who hear him that day, That although it is the Jews that have taken up issue with him, Paul says, I myself am a Jew. Paul's admitting that he's one of them. He says, it's our religion. In fact, Paul defends his upbringing. He says, "Not, not only am I an ordinary Jew, a regular Jew, but I am also from the strictest sect of Judaism. I was a Pharisee. And so by admitting his pharisaical upbringing. Paul was affirming that, that out of anyone, he was someone who knew the Jewish faith and customs. He knew the teaching. He knew the practices. He knew of the hope of a coming Messiah. And yet, despite all Paul's credentials, he says, yet somehow I've found myself on trial And so to prove himself more so, you can see in verses 9 through 11, Paul begins to describe how pious he was, how committed to the Jewish faith he was because of how he in the past had locked up and voted against and punished and coerced and raged and and persecuted any follower of Jesus. Yet ironically, that's now him. So why is Paul confessing his past to his hearers. Because Paul knew the life that he used to live. Because he had accepted that God had called him out of this lifestyle to be used as a witness for Christ. Because Paul's past 
shaped what was about to happen to him. Now, there might be some of you listening today as we've begun to work through this passage that like Paul, you feel like your past is filled with legalism, is filled with actions, is filled with experiences or things done to you. You feel like there are decisions that you have made in your past that would disqualify you from being a witness for Christ. I want you to see in our passage today how Paul is going to confess that the past life and his story is now being professed by how God is using it for his glory. I want you to see how Paul confesses that who he used to be is nothing like the person he is today. And so for the person that is listening today, contemplating giving your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to examine the words of Paul who in another letter in in Timothy wrote this. Paul said this, this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. And then look what he says, of whom I am the foremost. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And Paul is even willing, based on his past, to say, I am the foremost. I am the most undeserving of the grace that I have found in my life. And so if you are struggling to see how God could use your life as a witness for him, I want you to be encouraged by Paul's testimony today that as a witness for Christ, you are someone who confesses who you were. That's the past tense. It's not who you are anymore. In fact, God wants to redeem your life that he might use you as a witness to proclaim and to confess about the change that has gone on in you. And that's what he does to Paul. And so as Paul continues to witness in this passage in Acts chapter 26 before King Agrippa, he is going to tell of that time when he got saved. And so now we will see point number two, a witness for Christ professes who they are. And Paul, in this next section, is going to share about how on the road to Damascus to lock up more Christians in this city, a blinding light will appear to him in the sky. This is something we learned as a church in our series in Acts many months ago in in Acts 9. He says, I heard a voice in the Hebrew language, again, testifying to his, his Jewish upbringing, Paul says, I heard a voice and I realized it was the risen Jesus. This was the Jesus whom the Jews had crucified. Whom the Jews began to testify of his resurrection. Jesus is now raised from the dead and was speaking to him. And that is why in verse 8, why Paul questions and says, why is it impossible? Why is it thought incredible that God raises from the dead Because I was a first-hand witness. I was a first-hand witness that this is not only possible, but that it did happen. Paul is telling those hearing him today that he's not in trouble for some divine revelation he got from some sovereign deity. 
He wasn't saying this is a, a sect in our world. This is not a cult. This is something that has public publicly been awaited for for a long time. And so I think it's important for us today just to stop and to examine for a moment why was the resurrection of Jesus such an important thing for Paul? Why was the resurrection of Jesus something that was getting him in trouble? Well, I want to start by saying this. Church, the resurrection of Jesus is one of the most distinguishing beliefs or convictions that the Christian faith has to offer to this world. In fact, I would even love you in this way to say to you this, that if you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you have missed the gospel. And so, loved ones, this is what it looks like in your life. If you read a book, or you read a post, or you hear a podcast, or you watch a video, that says to you that the resurrection of Jesus is not important, or that it didn't happen, or that it's not essential for the Christian faith. I love you today by telling you to put that down, or to throw it out, or to burn it. Because as Paul says in verse six and seven, the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not something he made up. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was something prophesied long ago about. It was something that our people, the something that the Jewish people had been waiting for throughout the Old Testament. The Jews were waiting for a future day. They were longing for the consummation of God's kingdom when eternity would begin. And so Paul says, all throughout the Old Testament, of which I know very well, and it's filled with reference to this coming Jesus. It's filled with reference to the resurrection. And so he communicates that this is something that we've been waiting for. Paul preaches that Christ risen makes all the difference in the world. Paul says this is a big deal that Christ not only suffered and died for the sins of the world, but he's also now our living hope. Because Christ led the way. He was the first one to come back from the dead. But the problem was in Paul's day and in our day, the Pharisees didn't believe that Jesus was the coming Messiah. The Sadducees didn't believe, according to Paul, that the resurrection had happened or was even possible. And so Paul says to King Agrippa, that's why I'm here. Because I am preaching a Christ who is risen. In fact, Paul was so passionate about the resurrection of Christ that as we already heard today, I want you to look at the words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want you to see Paul's argument here in all of these verses, but look at this. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. 
For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And look what he says here. Then those also who have fallen asleep or perished or died in Christ have perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul says, loved ones, you, you can't long for a day when one day you see Jesus face to face. When all things are restored and you have a resurrected body, you cannot enjoy that type of future eternity if Christ did not fully die and conquer sin and be raised back to life again by leading the way as the first to rise from the dead. Have you ever seen our logo for Hope Bible Church? Have you seen that animation that takes place? Maybe you have. Maybe some of you watched it online. You've seen it on the web. I want to show you on the screens. This is what it looks like. Look at that. That's the tomb opening. That's so good because believing in the resurrection of Jesus means that we too, as Hope Bible Church, that we believe and long for a day when we get to see our Savior face to face. Why? Because we believe in the empty tomb. Because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And church, Believing this changes everything in your life. Because as you go through this life, and as you sit with a friend or a family member in their last days by their bedside, as you feel the temperature leaving their hands, and you see the change of color in their skin, Loved ones, if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, in that moment you have hope. Because by faith in Jesus, this world is not our home. And we do not grieve as though we are those with no hope because Jesus changed everything. And Paul, without a doubt, had had come to believe that Jesus was crucified, but then three days later he had risen again. Paul was about to experience life change that would result in real living. I want you to see verse 14, how this happened. Paul says, And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? This was a reference for Paul. He knew exactly what this meant. Just like poking and prodding an animal to move it along to the path that you desire, Jesus is saying to Paul in this moment, Paul, why are you resisting the will of the Lord in your life? Is it hard for you to kick against the, the goads? Look at verse 15. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. I want you to see this morning two things that Jesus says to Paul in this moment in his conversion. 
I want to show you on the screens two things. Paul's conversion in Acts 26, verse 16. Number one, in this moment, Jesus is appointing Paul as his servant. I'm going to require obedience from you, Paul. Secondly, Jesus appoints Paul as his witness. And this is going to require Paul to testify in his life about Christ. I want to unpack those two together. Number one, Jesus appointing Paul as his servant means that he was implying that Paul would now have to live for Christ rather than himself. And we see in the epistles this would become part of Paul's entire message to people as he would write in Galatians saying, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And in fact, Paul begins many of his epistles and letters to the churches in the New Testament by saying, I am someone who is called and chosen and appointed. I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. Because when you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you become his servant, you no longer live for yourself. A witness for Christ does not live for their own fame and fortune or followers. They live now for their heavenly Father. And church, this is a beautiful thing to understand in our lives because for those who follow Christ, no matter what past or life you have lived, this does not define who you are anymore. Because by faith in Jesus and surrender to him, you have now received salvation. And your eyes have been opened. It's not who you were, but it's who you now are. And your life is suddenly filled with purpose. Secondly, Paul was appointed by Jesus in that moment to be a witness. And it's in this verse right here that we see why Paul was such a powerful and effective witness for Christ. Paul was called out of his life that he was living he was given a different purpose, a purpose to go and to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus. And in verse 17, church, we see that a witness for Christ is someone who is delivered from their former way of life and is sent as a witness to the world. So you're called out of your past and your future is sent to be a witness for Christ. But maybe we ask this question, what does a witness for Christ witness about? Look at verse 18. Jesus says to Paul, Paul, I'm, I'm sending you to the world to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That is the gospel of Jesus. I want to summarize it on the screen. Look at what Paul was expected to do. A witness for Christ helps people see the world differently as we see in this verse. Number one, why? So they turn from darkness to light. That they come to know the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Secondly, helping the world see differently so they belong to the power of God and not Satan. Paul says it's the power of God for salvation that the gospel is. Number three, help the world see differently so they receive forgiveness of sins and so that they have a home in God's family and a future. That's the doctrine of adoption. 
that although wandering aimlessly in sin, as Paul writes in Romans, dead in sin, helping the world see that by faith in Jesus, you have a new family, you have a future, you have a hope in your life. And so Paul was professing that his life had changed after he met Jesus, and he was called to go to the Jews and to the Gentiles to proclaim these truths, to help them open their eyes as Paul's eyes were opened, to have faith in Christ alone. But church, this moment in Paul's life is literally where some Christians have built a description about a conversion moment in your life described as the road to Damascus event. But what happens when you don't have a blinding light from heaven appear? What happens when you don't hear an audible voice from Jesus? What happens if you're not blind for three days before someone heals you? Can you still be a witness for Christ? What if it didn't happen in a moment like Paul, but it happened over many months in your life? I know many of you in our church maybe grew up in different denominations. This is the struggle for you. Can I still be a witness for Christ? Well, let me start with this. A witness for Christ is not defined by how they got saved, but by the testimony that they are now saved. It's a testimony that they are now changing more and more into the image of Jesus through the repentance of sins and through works or actions that prove this life change. I remember as a teenager in my life, wishing that my life would have been more interesting. Wondering what my life would have been like if I, have, if I had been in more trouble or if I had been more rebellious. Thinking that somehow and in, in that way, if that was my life, it would contribute to a more glorious and attractive testimony as I witness for Christ. If I had that road to Damascus moment, I remember being bound and, and often uncompelled to want to share my life story, to be a witness for Christ because I felt like my life was boring. And because I felt like those who had those stories, they were the stories and witnesses that others wanted to hear. And it took me years to come to the point to realize and to believe with conviction that a follower of Jesus is not to find by the story of their salvation moments, but by the story of how God has called us all out of sin and has called us all out of darkness and opened our eyes to the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. Because young people, students, listening today, I can promise you this. Your parents are not praying for you to have an exciting testimony story. In fact, we are praying the opposite for you. We are praying that in many ways your life would be uneventful, lavished by the grace of God in your life. How he's keeping you from harm. 
and that your story would be marked by an event that you have been changed by Christ and the life that you now live, that as we witness as your parents, we are beginning to see life change in you, a life that is different from the life you used to be and marked by a life who you now profess to be in Jesus Christ. That is why in verse 19, Paul just continues past his, his conversion story to say, this is how it's true. This is how I've been faithful to the calling that Jesus has placed in my life. Let's read this together. Verses 19 and 20, Paul says, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, what? That they should repent and turn to God performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. You know, isn't it interesting that after being imprisoned for two years, Paul likely would have felt discouraged or maybe even frustrated that, that even on his missionary journeys, he was now locked up, he was unable to be a witness for Christ, but, but as we've seen, church, over the last few chapters in Acts, over the last number of weeks, we've seen someone who is faithful to be a witness for Christ, and that is looking in every moment possible that they might find ways to preach Christ in every circumstance. And so what circumstance has God placed in your life right now that he is waiting for you to be a faithful witness for him? Because don't waste your circumstance. Don't waste your marriage. Don't waste your parenting. Don't waste your Serb. Don't waste your cancer. Don't waste your COVID. In this last section of chapter 26, we see clearly Paul's intentions and his heart to be a witness for Christ. His pedal is to the metal. And so we see point number three, a witness for Christ is someone who witnesses. I know it sounds simple and, and maybe self-explanatory, but a witness for Christ is someone who is actively witnessing in their lives. A witness for Christ is someone who's been so changed by Christ that they are regularly finding opportunities, praying for opportunities in their life to tell others about this Christ. And for the apostles, this meant testifying to the fact firsthand that they had been with Christ and been commissioned by Christ and are also having seen that risen Christ that was characteristics of their apostolic ministry. But for you and I, we have the same commission in our lives to go and make disciples to the ends of the earth. But our witness is not having seen the risen Christ. Our witness is based upon what Christ's life, death, and resurrection has done in us. It's a firsthand witness to our friends and family that we've been changed and that we have found hope in this world, even in a pandemic. Can I get a witness the reality is that some of us confess who we were, they profess who they are, but we would have a hard time answering or responding to that question. 
can I get a witness? Some of us might answer sometimes. Some of us might say in a little while or when I'm done this or that. Some of us might say preferably not. Some of us might say, I don't know how. And if you answered, I don't know how, might I encourage you today in Acts 26, look at Paul's example of his witness for Christ. Look at our passage today. You know, here at Hope, when individuals want to be baptized, we have leaders that will sit down with them to hear their story and help them as they prepare a testimony or a witness for Christ, as they get ready to share um, in their baptism what God has done in them. And often as a, as a template to help them um, in their baptism prep, to help them think about how to share the story, we, we give the church three questions. I want to show you these questions. They're really quite simple. Number one, what was your life like before Christ? Number two, how did you come to know Christ? And number three, how is your life different now that you've known Christ? You know, the answer to those three questions for you in your life, it's really just the story of your life. And church, if, if we can learn to effectively craft and tell our story answering these questions, you are ready to be a witness for Christ, just like Paul. And so in that moment, Festus claims Paul's gone mad. He stands up in a loud voice and says, Paul's gone crazy. And Paul says, no, Festus, I've not gone crazy or mad. I'm speaking truthfully. I'm speaking in rational words and, and then he turns to King Agrippa because he knows King Agrippa is well acquainted with his life. He says, come on, Agrippa. I'm not crazy. You know that I'm not crazy. I know that you know these things. And so Paul stands before a king and an emperor and religious leaders and others that hear him that day. And perhaps he wonders if he will ever get another chance with clarity to effectively call his hearers to put their faith in Jesus Christ and we see in this moment how Paul was being faithful to be a witness with boldness to share of Christ. Let's read verses 27, 28. This is what Paul says. He's speaking to them. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Verse 28, and Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? I love how in this moment, Prior to this question, it's Paul who's been before the council of power. He is defending the accusations against him. And now in this moment, we see it's King Agrippa who feels like he has to defend himself. He feels like Paul is trying to convert him to the Christian faith. And so Agrippa questions if this is in fact what is going on. And he responds, look at verse 29. And Paul answers Agrippa. And Paul said, whether short or long... I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. Paul says, I don't want you in prison, but I do want you to know the freedom found in Christ. I want you to have your eyes opened. I want you to go from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. I want you to experience forgiveness for your sins. I want you to become part of God's family and have a hope and a future in this life. Do you want that today? 
Because if you are hearing Paul's words today in this passage, if God is speaking to you today, you cry out to Jesus and you say, God, save me too. And you put your faith in this risen Jesus, asking him in your life, help me, God, live as a servant and as a witness for you. And trust me in this, you watch. You watch how over time, slowly, your life begins to change. Well, in this moment, Agrippa, Bernice, Festus, those who are listening, they gather together, they consult one another, and surprise, surprise, they find Paul is innocent. He is to be set free, except for one small detail. Back in chapter 25, verse 12, when being questioned by Festus a few days earlier, Paul says, since I'm innocent, I appeal as a Roman citizen to Caesar. And so even though in chapter 26, while Paul is deemed again innocent, he must now journey to be tried by Caesar for his final trial. But church, we see in these final chapters in Acts 26, how Luke is presenting the Apostle Paul, who is someone who is innocent by the standards of Roman law. And although his own people are out to get him and trying him and want him dead, Paul's life since salvation has been become a faithful witness for Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you are called to the same faithful witness life as Paul. And so we see in this passage today a clear example from Paul about how a witness for Christ is someone who is supposed to confess who they were, a sinner in need of a Savior drowning in sin. A witness for Christ is someone who professes who they now are in light of what Christ's life, death, and resurrection has done for you. And a witness for Christ is someone who witnesses. And we see in Paul's example here amidst trial and circumstance that that should lead us in our lives as well to be praying for or to be repenting of or to be inviting ways in which God would use our lives as witnesses for him and for his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this example in this passage today of how Paul saw that you were enough. That as you had called him from his former life and and sent him to be a witness to the world, that Paul's mission in his life was to help the world have their eyes opened and that they would experience the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That they would come to know that there is light found in the light of the world, Jesus. That there is hope found as they go from the power of Satan to God. That there is relief found in the forgiveness of sins. And that there is great joy knowing that this life is not all there is. Because as Paul wrote, we are citizens of heaven. And we look forward and long for a day when we will see Jesus face to face. God, I pray that there would be some listening today that would be able to say, I got saved in Acts 26. 
But there would be some here today that would be encouraged to know that God's life, death, and resurrection gives us hope in this life. And that together as a church, we would say, Christ is enough for us. Help me, God, be a witness in my life to the world that their eyes might be open to come to know this hope as well. And so, Father, for that we're thankful. For that we sing to you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.